Welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. For today's episode, I spoke with Robert Ballot, who is also known as the lawyer who became DuPont's worst nightmare. He's written a book called Exposure, and he's been portrayed by Mark Ruffalo in the film Dark Waters, which is about his heroic 20-year battle exposing DuPont's contamination of drinking water in West Virginia and toxic chemicals used to make Teflon. You know, like the Teflon pans that make your eggs plop right off the pan like magic. Well, ultimately, it goes far beyond that because we're finding these chemicals in drinking water all over the United States and even all across the world. Specifically, we are talking about PFOA, which is a man-made chemical that is linked to six diseases such as kidney cancer and testicular cancer. This contamination has been happening since the 50s, and now it's in the blood of virtually every living creature on the planet, chemicals that are getting into our water and into our blood. And DuPont knew about it. They knew about this for years and got away with it. But thankfully, we have Robert, who dedicated his life to holding DuPont accountable and making this known and continuing to spread awareness. Now, let's get into it. Hi, Robert. Thanks for taking the time to be on the Bold Moves Only podcast. Thanks for having me. So can you start by talking a bit about your journey and battle against DuPont and how it all started? Yeah, this has uh, been something I've been working on now for about 22 years. Uh, all started back in 1998 when I got a call from a farmer out in West Virginia who was uh, having trouble with his cows. His cows were getting sick, dropping dead, uh, getting black teeth, wasting away, developing tumors. And you know, it wasn't just the cows, it was the wildlife in the area, fish, um, the, the deer. And he thought that uh, he himself was getting sick and his family and was having a hard time getting anybody there locally to talk to him. The, the state EPA really didn't want to do anything. The, the company, that uh, owned the landfill next to his property that he thought was causing the problem, really didn't want to uh, give him any answers. So uh, none of the lawyers in town really wanted to, to take this on. So he had been reaching out, looking for folks, and just happened to have been on the phone, uh, actually with uh, talking with his neighbor, who had just been talking with my grandmother, who said uh, her grandson was an environmental lawyer in Cincinnati, and maybe I could help him. That was uh, how we got started. He called me and I invited him to come on up and show me what he had and see if this was something we could help him on. And the chemical that was being released by DuPont was PFOA. Can you talk a bit about the origin? Because I think it's really important to get the scope of how long this has been a problem. Yeah, what we found out was uh, there was a landfill right next to the farmer, Mr. Tennant was his name, right next to Mr. Tennant's property that was owned by the DuPont Company. And they had a massive uh, plant right, uh, right down the river along the Ohio River. And this was a facility that was really the world's largest Teflon manufacturing plant. And uh, they were sending waste to this landfill. 
And what we started, what we found out once we started digging into all the documents um, uh, from the company was that one of the chemicals that they used in making Teflon dating back to 1951 was something called PFOA. Um, the company also called it C8 because it was this completely man-made chemical, never existed on the planet prior to World War II. It had been invented by 3M and DuPont start bu started buying it in 1951 and using it in their process to manufacture Teflon. And it was this very unusual chemical that had eight carbons attached to fluorine, which is why they called it a C8, um, which made it uh, had this unusual ability to, to, to stay in the environment once it was released, virtually would never break down, which is why you now hear it referred to as a forever chemical. And it had a really uncanny ability to get into living things and stick to the blood and the serum and stay there for long, long periods of time. So you know, even though this, this chemical was uh, being manufactured and used decades before the US EPA and environmental rules even came out, the companies had been studying it because of this unique um, chemical structure and its ability not to break down and to get into living things. They'd been studying it for decades and had known for quite some time that it was toxic. And how did they get away with this and for so long? Well, yeah, part of the problem was, again, because this was something that had been developed um, back in the 1940s and had been in use since the early 1950s, it really predated um, some of the, the first environmental laws in our country that came out in the 1970s. You know, the US EPA didn't even exist until 1970. And some of the first laws regulating chemicals coming out into the environment came out in 1976. Uh, and they really focused on new chemicals, new things that were being used and released. So for chemicals like this that had already been out there for decades, um, really the, the, the law relied upon the companies that were making or using those to tell the EPA and to alert the regulators if there was any kind of toxicity or risk problem. And unfortunately, what we saw was despite decades of internal studies, research showing that there was in fact a risk that from these chemicals and that they posed a threat to humans, the companies just repeatedly took the position that they were not going to alert the, the regulators and not going to tell the public. So unfortunately, this you know, the, the problem with these chemicals was essentially covered up for decades. And it wasn't until this lawsuit brought by Mr. Tennant and the, the farmer's uh, family down in West Virginia that uh, the rest of the world began to finally understand what was going on and realize the scope and severity of this problem. And so you mentioned the EPA and government agencies. And but even after you exposed the problem, they continued to kind of let it linger. So I'm wondering, I mean, even now, why hasn't there been a sense of urgency for them to do whatever they can to protect us? Because, I mean, like I, I just read an article that said the FDA just announced the phase out of PFAS um, used for grease proof paper and paperboard food packaging. And that was literally last week. Right. That was an article about a certain type of PFAS um, um, that was being finally uh, agreed to be phased out. And, and what you've hit on is a real problem. And one of the reasons why 
um, you know, I'm happy to have had this movie made about this story, Dark Waters, with Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway, that came out uh, the end of last year, you know, to really get the story out to the public. And the reason I wrote the book, Exposure, you know, was to try to get this information out to the public, because despite the fact that these chemicals have been released for probably 60, 70 years into our environment and now are in the blood of virtually every living thing on this planet, including you know, over 90% of the people in this country, most people were unaware that this contamination was even occurring you know, as it was getting out into drinking water supplies all over the country, all over the world, getting into our soils, our water, our air, our blood went pretty much un, unrecognized and un, unrealized for decades. Um, and it's been incredibly difficult to get that information out and to get any regulatory uh, authorities to, to pay attention to it. And the process, and this is one of the things I really try to explore more in the book, you know, in exposure, is that the really complex and complicated uh, system that we have for regulating chemicals in this country and how difficult and how time consuming it is. Um, you know, and as you, as you pointed out, even though we now know, you know, this problem with this one chemical in particular, PFOA, and it's now starting to be phased out and banned worldwide, it is still technically not regulated as a drinking water contaminant in this country, despite now years and years and years of warnings and studies. So what's been happening is states across the United States have been moving forward on their own uh, to try to protect people and set drinking water standards and, and address the problem. Water providers are having to deal with that on their own as well. We just have a major problem with the way in which chemicals are regulated in the United States. And hopefully, you know, with this story getting out there and people seeing, you know, particularly here's, here's a situation where we have probably more data than you could ever want on a chemical. You know, animal studies, human studies, a massive study of some 70,000 people exposed to this chemical for years in their water, all of the science showing that it is a human health threat, and still we can't get it regulated in the United States. And so hope, I think people are, are, are using this and in, in realizing that you know, this, this is simply highlighting a bigger systemic problem that we have with the way in which we regulate chemicals um, particularly as the information comes out about this one PFOA, uh, you have companies simply tweaking it a bit and calling it something new and trying to start this whole process all over again. You know, it took 20 years to get information out about this one chemical. And as that finally is getting out and actions finally occurring, you know, to try to regulate it or ban it, it's tweaked just a little. A couple carbons are knocked off and it's called new and we're, we're told we have to start this whole process all over again and wait another 20 years. And a lot of regulators and scientists are saying we just can't continue to do it that way. And kind of touching upon what you just said about the states, one thing that really jumped out at me in your book was the corruption that you laid out. For example, when the West Virginia government and industry was called a revolving door, or when the American Council on Science and Health said there wasn't a shred of science to support your claims about PFOA, but they were funded by corporate donors, including household names from industries ranging from big tobacco to pharmaceuticals to petroleum and chemicals, including one of the companies that you've mentioned, 3M. 
how is this even allowed? Well, you know, unfortunately, it's something, um, you know, this revolving door between um, industry and the regulators is something that's gone on for many, many decades. Um, and, you know, it happens not just in West Virginia, but in other states as well, and at the federal level. I, I mentioned that in the book as well about some issues that we discovered, you know, later on involving U.S. EPA and industry folks uh, going in, you know, back and forth between DuPont and, and EPA. Um, and really the only way, <laughs> I think, to, to really start to attack this is for people to understand it's even happening and to, to, to realize that this occurs and how it occurs and why it occurs, which again is one reason I was um, wanting to make sure we, we explain that in the book, uh, you know, how this happens. How, how is it that you can have lawyers for the company who help set up a, a plan end up being the ones who then enforce that deal when they go and leave and become the regulators? Uh, you know, it's, it's just mind blowing. Um, and I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks would be surprised, you know, to, to, to realize what really goes on. Um, and again, you know, that's why I think it's so critically important to get information out and, you know, things like what we're doing here today, talking about this and getting these stories out and allowing people to, to really dig in and understand um, how these systems work, how, how it is <laughs> that we can end up with these man-made chemicals polluting the entire planet, being contaminating the blood of everyone in the country and you know, animals all over the world. And it happened while we're all here. This is a modern day problem and it continues. And you know, how can something like that occur here in modern times in the United States and, and be happening and, and virtually go unnoticed and unreported by most of the media? Uh, you know, it's been very difficult to get folks to talk about this, this story, um, uh, you know, in, in despite having a movie in the book and a documentary, The Devil We Know, and others, you know, reporting on it, trying to get the story out. It's still very difficult uh, for, for, for folks to even focus on this uh, because it's such a, a massive contamination that's gone on for so long through so many different products. Um, it's, it's a huge problem and it's, it's, it's one that's um, oftentimes difficult for people to really, you know, get their hands around and grasp the scope and severity of it. So another thing that really bothered me when I was reading your book was when you were at the conference and everyone was debating about the continuation of using PFOS when 3M said they no longer were going to make it. And from how you wrote it, it seemed as if they were debating about it being almost a necessary evil so that they wouldn't lose out on money. But why is it even a debate when we're talking about people's lives? Well, it's a good question. You know, and unfortunately, the hearing that you're mentioning that we talk about in the book uh, was back in, I guess it was around 2000 when the EPA um, had finally started to, to get some early inklings about the, the problems with these chemicals. And one of the first ones that they got any information about was, as you mentioned, called PFOS, um, a sister chemical, also an eight carbon, a C8 chemical, just like PFOA, both made by 3M. And this one in particular, PFOS, was used in things like Scotchgard, firefighting foam, 
And after some of this initial data first trickled out about PFOS and EPA was making noises about maybe coming in and regulating it. Well, that's when 3M said, no, 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 we're going to voluntarily pull it off the market. And uh, this meeting that you're talking about was set up later after uh, rules were going to go into in place to prevent others from making it going forward. And people were coming in explaining why they should be exempt from that rule because they needed it for certain you know, processes. And, you know, and that is unfortunately the way the regulatory process works. Um, you know, you have these proposed rules uh, to finally regulate and ban these chemicals. And then you have folks that, that are gonna come in and say, we need it, or we need to be exempted from any, any prohibition on using it. We have this uh, particular process that we need to, to, to keep using it. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and that's, that is the way our system is set up. That is the way it works. And how did that not drive you insane? And like, also, how did it not drive you insane to lay out the facts over and over and over again, and still have it in the back of your mind that it might not work and that you might actually lose? In your book, it seemed that you described a lot of the choices that you made, which in your mind were the best options as nearly impossible. You know, I think I was so fortunate to have met Wilbur Tennant, you know, the farmer who first came to me with, with the cattle problem, and then uh, Joe Kiger and, and other folks in the community there who were so determined, you know, to, that what we needed to do was get the facts out to everyone. And as long as people could see the truth and see what was really happening, Others would understand. They'd get it. They'd see what we were seeing. They would see that there is a major problem here. They would see that you know this water is is being contaminated and people are being poisoned and something needed to be done. And you know I, I was a firm believer in is if we could simply get the facts out, and people would take a look at it and really sit down and look at what we had and the documents and the facts that were out there and the science that was already there they would see the same thing we were seeing and they would realize, you know, this is a major public health threat and take action. Uh, it's frustrating. You know, it, it took a long time uh, to get folks to really sit down and look at that information and look at the science. But when they did, um, they saw what we saw. And, you know, the EPA eventually did uh, sue DuPont, uh, even saying, look, information had been withheld that you should have given us a long time ago about these chemicals. Um, and you know, the scientists, independent scientists who were able to then look at this data, you know, agreed and confirmed you know, that, that this, this PFOA in particular does pose health threats and is linked with very serious disease in humans, including cancer. And it, it's a frustrating process. It takes a long time. You know, you see here in this example, it took 20 years uh, to get the story out and finally, you know, get people to, to pay attention to it and realize the scope of the problem. But um, getting those facts out, uh, getting that information out, uh, eventually people will see uh, the truth and the truth ultimately prevails. You know, we, we were able to lay these facts out in trials, week long trials, six weeks in, in, in some cases for a jury to look at all of this and they agreed. You know that this was um, uh, this was a problem, and that Dupont should be held responsible for the cancers uh, that were caused among the people who were drinking this chemical, you know, for years. So 
it's um, it's frustrating. It's uh, it's a long process, but I hope that people, when they look at this story, they either watch the movie, the documentary, or read this book, you know, that they're inspired to know that change can happen. It might take a long time, but it can be done. And uh, you know, as long as you, you you stick to it and get the facts out and get the truth out there, um, ultimately, um, you know, you can't hide from that truth, and it'll prevail. And talking about holding DuPont accountable, I was just kind of curious about this. And I'm not an expert in law, and I'm assuming this is very complicated. But beyond giving money, shouldn't there be further punishments for those who knowingly made decisions that would ultimately make people sick, ruin their lives, and kill them? Well, um, you know, again, it's something I try to explain to in the book is just the, the limitations that we have in our legal system. Um, you know, through civil cases, typically what the courts can do and what juries can do is award uh, damages, and that typically is money. Uh, you know, they can't necessarily force anyone to ever admit anything or to apologize or to accept responsibility. Um, you know, the legal system, it's frustrating, particularly for people who um, you know, may have uh, had their views shaped by television or, you know, assume that, you know, you can, you can force um, an admission or something like that. And unfortunately, that's just not the way our legal system works. Um, but what you can do is you can get the data out, you can get the information out, you can, you can uh, provide enough facts so that the public, the regulators, the scientific community, everybody eventually sees um, what needs to be done, and and hopefully, um, you know, steps can be taken to to ban the chemical, to restrict it, to compensate people who've been injured. Um, and you may never get that admission, you may never get that apology, um, but those are those are the things we can do um, under our legal system. And just the difficulties kind of feed into the idea that we probably don't know how many chemicals such as PFOA are out there in the environment, in our bodies. I mean, it took you 20 years to get to this point just with one chemical. Yeah, you know, there are tens of thousands of chemicals that were out there being used in the environment before the EPA even came into existence in 1970. Uh, there's probably, uh, you know, a large proportion of those that have never um, uh, really seen the seen any intense study by independent scientists. Who knows? You know what's known um, internally by companies that are making or using those. Um, you know, this was one case where we did find out you know, what was known internally about some of these existing chemicals. Um, you know, and they're unique. Um, you know, there there are a lot of chemicals that we're exposed to every day uh, that fortunately our body can get rid of. You know, we excrete them. Um, they're gone. We may be exposed to them, but luckily that exposure doesn't really have any lasting impact because our body can get rid of them. Or they get released out into the environment and they break down and they, they're, they're, they disappear. Uh, environmental mechanisms degrade it or it, it dissolves it or, or it doesn't go away. These chemicals, you know, have this unusual ability, though, to not break down, to stay in the environment. Uh, virtually forever, for thousands, if not millions of years, and to get into us and stay in us. 
and stay in our blood and build up to higher and higher levels over time. That persistence, the bio-persistence, the bioaccumulation, that's what really is troubling. Uh, you know, when you combine that with the, the potential to be toxic and the potential for cancer, um, you, you almost have what becomes like a ticking time bomb, you know, when you've got chemicals like this that get out in the environment and will stay there or get out into living things and stay there. The longer they're there, the longer they have this potential for harm. And so that's why when you're dealing with these persistent, bioaccumulative, toxic, man-made chemicals like this, you've really got a, a particularly unusual problem that, that uh, really needs to be dealt with. And, it, and it's not you know, necessarily the same thing for all these other chemicals that may disappear or go away very quickly. And has Congress taken any serious action to prevent things like this from happening in the future? Well, in 2016, there were um, amendments to the federal law called the Toxic Substances Control Act, or TSCA, um, the law that I mentioned that came out in 1976 originally that was supposed to focus on testing of chemicals before they come out into the environment. Uh, that law was beefed up a bit in 2016 to try to prevent things like this from happening. I think the jury's still out, so to speak, on how effective those amendments are. Um, and really, as this story about the PFAS forever chemicals has finally started to make its way out to the public, into the scientific community, the regulatory community, we're now seeing discussions happening for the first time among legislators, not only at the state level, but now for the first time at the federal level, um, about whether or not legislation needs to be enacted to, to properly address these chemicals, make sure that they don't continue to pose a threat. You know, these are the, those are the kind of discussions, frankly, that weren't happening until just the last year or two. Um, and hopefully, you know, getting the movie out there, the documentary, uh, the media, the, the other media coverage, getting the book out there so that people can understand this. Hopefully that's helping um, educate folks um, to, to, the, to the scope and severity of, of the problem and the need to really come up with new ways of dealing with this. And right at the end of your book, you mention how you are jumping into a new lawsuit. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, as, as we've learned that it's not just PFOA, the chemical that we first found out about through Mr. Tennant in this farm out in West Virginia. It's not just that one chemical, but it's a whole family called PFOS, per and polyfluoroalkylated substances. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of these chemicals like PFOA that are part of this man-made chemical family that have this unique carbon-fluorine bond. Well, we're finding uh, this bigger group of chemicals out in the environment, in blood. Um, and you know what we're hearing, unfortunately, is the same kind of thing we were hearing back when we first uh, were uncovering the information about PFOA. Well, there's just not enough known. There's not enough science out there to take action, to regulate these, to ban them, or to do anything. Um, and so uh, what I've tried to do is, is bring a case where we try to force the companies that have put these chemicals out there into our environment, knowing they would get out in the environment and get into us, that they should be funding whatever studies are needed to confirm exactly what this mix of chemicals will do to all of us. Um, you know, 
those of us who are exposed shouldn't have to be paying for the science and the studies to, to show what these chemicals are doing um, to us. Um, and, and that litigation was filed um, in 2018 and uh, it is moving forward. Uh, it's still in federal court in Ohio. And um, you know, the, the hope is to try to get comprehensive nationwide studies done on this larger group of chemicals to show exactly what they're doing to all of us and to have the companies pay, not us. I'm, I'm kind of curious, did DuPont try to do anything to stop the production of the film and you writing your book? Nothing that I'm aware of, <laughs> um, you know, but what I can tell you is it's been very difficult, uh, you know, to get folks to even talk about uh, the book existing or the film uh, or the documentary. And um, so, you know, anything we can do to, to at least alert people and make people aware that this story and this information is out there. Um, you know, I'm trying to help, um, you know, increase uh, awareness, increase education about, about these chemicals. It's just been incredibly difficult to get anyone to even talk about it. Uh, and that continues to this day. I mean, we're seeing improvement. We're seeing more and more awareness, uh, more more uh, communities understanding that they've been exposed and, and demanding that actions be taken. States, water providers, um, you know, we're trying to do what we can to, to make sure that um, folks understand the nature and scope of this and, and know that there's information out there available to them. And last question, something I like to ask everyone, what would you say to someone who wants to take action and make a positive change but doesn't know where to start? Um, you know, do what you can. Uh, take whatever action you can. You, you never know um, where even what you might think is the smallest, most insignificant step, uh, where that leads. Um, but you've got to take that first step. Um, you know, like, you know, when I first agreed to meet with Mr. Tennant and look at these videotapes and take that case on, we had no idea, you know, it would lead to discovering, you know, worldwide contamination uh, on an unprecedented scale. Um, but, um, you know, it's, you, you've got to do what you can do. Each individual, you know, doing what they can to, 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 uh, to stand up, speak out and take action and you know, work with others uh, who, who are working on similar issues, uh, try, to, try to combine efforts and do what can be done. Um, it makes a difference uh, and it leads to tremendous change. And hopefully, you know, this story helps inspire people to do that um, in whatever context they're working on. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time to be a guest on the Bold Moves Only podcast. I really, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It was great talking with you. Okay. If you feel similar to me after learning about this story, you're probably inspired. You're probably concerned, but you're also probably angry as hell. Reading this book, watching the movie, Learning more and more about this story and the contamination of these chemicals throughout the United States and the world infuriates me. It's a story, not an uncommon one, of a company who was willing to make a profit at the expense of people, the environment, and just the world in general. 
It's a story of government institutions not doing their job, which is to protect us. It's a story of corruption. It's a story of how our society treats people like things, like objects that we can completely distance ourselves from. But it's also a story of an individual who stood up, took bold action, and made change. So be mad, get fired up, learn more, speak out, organize. We all have the capacity to make a difference. So let's go out and be bold.